Coming up on Philosophy Talk... Hotter fires, faster floods, drier droughts, global warming is here. Daytime high temperatures once again. It's one of those afternoons where we're absolutely baked. No matter recycling is going to solve the climate crisis. How do we get people to work together? It's too darn hot. It's too darn hot. There is frustration tonight after a two-week global conference on climate ends with no deal on a key concern. Despite the urgency of global warming, the world's political leadership did not manage to step beyond its own shadows. Why is it so hard for people to coordinate and do the right thing? Is it a failure of human rationality, a lack of will, or something else? We should be thinking more in terms of our complicity in the systems. Our guest is Kieran Setia from MIT. Collective action and climate change, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Can individual actions solve the climate crisis? Is it enough to get solar panels and bike to work? What will it take for governments to tackle climate change? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today, we're thinking about collective action and climate change. Yeah, I mean, look, this summer was one of the hottest on records. You got floods and fires getting worse all around the globe. It really feels like we're on the precipice, on the brink of an ecological disaster. We, we've got to do something about climate change. Okay, but what are we going to do? Well, I, I, mean, I don't know about you. I've, I've put solar panels on my house. I just replaced all my lights with LEDs. I even have an electric car now. Okay, Josh, but is that really enough? Like, if you do that, but nobody else does anything, we're still going to end up with a climate catastrophe. Okay, but what if everybody does their bit? Yeah, they're not going to do their bit. A lot of people can't afford to replace their lights, much less buy an electric car. And even people who can, they don't always want to. Okay, yeah, I admit that's a real problem. I, mean, I, I wish everyone would do the enlightened thing, but a lot of people, even the ones who can afford it, seems like maybe they're just a little short-sighted. They, they don't seem to realize it's in their own self-interest to save the world. Yeah, but... Is it in their self-interest? Okay, commuting to work or, or taking a flight to cool vacation spots, like, that hurts other people, but it, it benefits the person doing it. I, I think it's a classic tragedy of the commons. Tragedy of the commons. Say more about that, Ray. So this is an idea that goes back to the economist William Forster Lloyd. He was thinking about common land in Britain in the 19th century, where people could send their animals to graze. If you keep a cow on the commons, you get meat, you get milk, you, you basically benefit. And two cows? Well, that's even better, right? Well, great. Get, get two cows. Get three. What's the problem? Well, if everybody gets two or three cows, pretty soon all the grass is going to be gone. Even if every individual is doing what's best for them, the group as a whole is going to suffer. Right. I mean, it's like the dirty cups in the office kitchen. It, it, everyone thinks it's someone else's job, so their mugs just sit in the sink until they get moldy. Exactly. And everyone thinks it's someone else's job to cut down on the carbon emissions, so the carbon just sits in the atmosphere until we all boil to death. Oh, dear. So, okay, what are we supposed to do about it? I mean, if it's not in anyone's individual self-interest to fight climate change... How are you ever going to solve the problem? Well, Josh, what, what's in people's self-interest can change, right? 
So right now, it's in a lot of people's self-interest to drive to work. You know, they work in the city and all the cheap houses are out in the suburbs and they don't have reliable transit or, or safe bike lanes. But you could make it more affordable to live in the city near where you work or, or you could build better bike lanes and better trains. Me? I can't, I can't do that. I mean, I'm just one person. I mean, worse, I'm just a professor. How on earth am I supposed to conjure up bike lanes and high-speed trains like with a magic wand or something? That's why I've been doing what I can, I guess, you know, going solar, investing in LEDs, stuff like that. Okay, okay. You can't change things single-handedly. I grant that. But we can do it together. Our governments and organizations can change things, and, and they're made up of people just like us. Sure, but look, even if my local government decides to build bike lanes, maybe the next door county council is going to refuse to, and then you just get another tragedy of, a com- of the commons at a higher level. Yeah, don't forget that you can also take to the streets and make noise, though. That's also a form of collective action. True, but people have been doing that for quite a long time, Ray, and it frankly doesn't seem to have had much effect. Well, maybe your guest will have some better ideas. It's MIT philosopher Kieran Setia author of Life is Hard, How Philosophy Can Help Us Find Our Way. But first, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to find out how collective action can help us deal with climate anxiety. She files this report. It's impossible to ignore what's happening, um, and I just really felt like responsibility to do something about it. Anya Dravis is a freshman and environmental activist at the University of Pennsylvania. We talked while she was at a campus cafe. I'm also helping in the fight against racism and the fight against sexism and all these other things because they're all deeply connected and it's all one big movement. A few years ago, she remembers learning about fires in the Amazon. The Amazon rainforest is known as the lungs of the earth. That pushed her to learn more about cattle ranching. How much of the Amazon has been scarred by all of this cattle ranching. We already lost almost 20% of the Amazon. And without the Amazon forest, the life of human beings are under threat in this world. Then came the sense of responsibility, then the guilt, then the desire to do something. So she stopped eating meat. It's not entirely tangible, I suppose, but it felt tangible. It felt like something I could do. And so I felt really, like, just compelled to do it. Anya was a student at Berkeley High in California, and so she co-founded the Zero Waste Club, a group where students pledged to reduce waste in their daily lives. She launched the Meatless Monday campaign to stop the cafeteria from serving meat one day a week. The year that we were really working on this, like, the head chef was on sabbatical or something like that. Um, And so... The cafeteria staff was like, no, we can't do anything without our head chef here. So, like, if you want to make this change, like, you have to wait until she comes back next year. And we were like, okay, like, what? At most, they managed to get some businesses to offer discounts when students ordered vegetarian food. These battles were stressful and exhausting. But giving up feels worse because then I feel like I'm, like, letting the planet down. There was a recent survey of about 10,000 young people from 10 countries across the globe, um, and approximately three quarters agreed with the statement, the future is frightening. Sarah Schwartz is an associate professor of psychology at Suffolk University in Boston. She's referring to a survey that was led by Bath University. A study she worked on from the Yale School of Public Health suggests that collective action can help ease the effects of climate change anxiety. One of the main themes was this enormity of the problem of climate change and then the insignificance of what they can do. 
In a survey for that study, researchers found individual actions like recycling or turning off lights did not have the same mental health benefits as collective action. We know when it comes to facing these large um, kind of existential crises that it's so easy to feel hopeless and alone um, and that when you can come together with the others, um, that it can lead to the sense of agency and maybe we actually can do something. If it's a collective problem, then we have to think about collective solutions. Lelia Benoit from the Yale Child Study Center also collaborated on that research. She remembers working with an adolescent who had mild autism. He had unplugged old, unused appliances and went vegan. His parents canceled their vacation plans over his concerns for the environment but they were worried about him. And I couldn't help thinking like, he's absolutely right. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Benoit says society produces all kinds of violence and that can hurt mental health. If you try answering the problem with an individual solution, it will be a mess. So, you know, try give an antidepressor for, uh, I don't know, sexism, stigma or racism. It's a mess. It's an individual solution for a collective program. Learning about climate change is a kind of grief. And if you sit with that grief, you might notice a new energy, seemingly out of nowhere. But it doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of a process of grief, you know? Then you have renewed energy and, and then you are able to, to be part of the solution and to, and to take action. Back at the University of Pennsylvania, Anya Dravis is still trying to figure out how she can fix some of the problems. She says they don't compost on campus or separate recycling, and they rely too much on bottled water. Yeah, there's like a lot of issues. And so I'm really like, I, I want to start getting involved right away. I just like don't know where to start or how to do that yet. She just needs to find more individuals who want to make collective change. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.